Welcome to The Wrap, a Warren Averett podcast for business leaders designed to help you access vital business information and trends when you need it so you can listen, learn, and then get on with your day. Time is tight. That's why our advisors have wrapped up today's most timely topics into a podcast with actionable advice. Now, let's get down to business. Hey, Paul. Hey, Kim. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm great, and I am really excited about this. Anyone who knows me knows that I love nothing more than goal setting, and a new year is just really exciting for me. Uh, My husband and I actually go away to the beach for the beginning of the year, and we spend a day doing goal setting, which sounds really romantic, but... We love it, and or maybe I love it, and he loves it because he loves me. But I love talking about goals and setting goals, and so um, we are really fortunate today to have um, a guest with us, Chris Mason. And Chris is a business leader and an owner and director of several privately owned companies, including MindShop, which is a learning and development solution for business advisors, which I have been an accredited MindShop facilitator for over 10 years now. This is exciting. Yeah, and Chris, he actually has a PhD in industrial and organizational psychology. He developed a new theory on change success and um, just a very fascinating business leader. And I think he's going to be able to bring a lot to our listeners. So I'm really excited to welcome Chris. For all of our listeners to be prepared, uh, Chris is actually joining us from Australia. So he's getting up very early in the morning for our afternoon recording and he is obviously calling in. Uh, this is the first time we've had a podcast recorded over the phone. And this is our first international podcast. Chris, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. So as we talked about, we just celebrated the start of a new year and a new decade. And many businesses are looking at how to set new goals for their company. So what are some of the first steps a business owner should take as they try to create their vision? Um, I think... Uh they've got to get clarity around um, what their competitive advantage is. But I think one of the things that they need to be able to document is their assumptions. Um, They often miss um, things like what is my competitive uh, advantage and and what what are my competitors going to do? Are there likely to be any new entrants? Is there any risk in what we're doing? Like we're going to lose key customers or key, key staff members. Um, they miss the goals I'm picking up that people are missing, and I think in part it's because of the fast rate of change. Is um, people have weaknesses in their succession plans, and the big one for me is their emerging capabilities. They they had not really seen in enough time uh, what capabilities they need in the future in order to be uh, competitive and risk free. So they don't need to keep doing the same thing year after year. They've got to. Instill some something new, some new mindset, some new um, idea or concept, uh, and not just keep doing the same stuff. Is that correct, Chris? Yeah, I, th- I think if that if they're finding they're having groundhog years, that's an early warning sign that they're um, they're going to end up um, having compressed margins, and they'll that they'll they'll see it, and but um, hopefully they get see it enough time to be able to react to it, and come to people like us that uh, can can give them the structure, the accountability, and the innovation that they need to be successful. So most people will, will assume success means growth. You know, are there any blind spots businesses have when identifying how they want to grow 
um, and kind of second to that, um, if they aren't setting goals, uh, you know, what is the, the, the common reason for that? Um, I think they almost think it's too theoretical and that you hear that I hear them say, oh, that doesn't work for me in my business. We're just, we're just having to react to whatever our customers uh, are asking of us. Um, and in part, it's because they don't have clarity around their ideal customer. Uh, in my case, um, I, have, I can almost touch and feel that person. I know exactly what I'm looking for. I can define it. And so that means I, can, I, can, uh, I, I see it when it appears. So I'm not sitting there hoping that I'll just take on any business. And I think that's a mistake they do. They just look at revenue and they don't think about gross margin. They don't think about net margin. And they don't think about lifetime income. So I always think about um, when I'm winning any new client that I want to keep this client for 20 years. And, and I can ask myself that question right at the start. Is, that, is this prospect uh, capable of, you know, of giving me that advantage that I want? Because um, that's how it works. My business model is all designed around long-term, high-capability, uh, high-potential people and that's the only ones I work for because at my age, you know, I'm, I'm not working for the money. I'm working because I want to enjoy myself. I want to keep growing and I want to put back into the community. And I don't want to work with people that are, are unworthy of that. You have a passion for, for where you are and why you're there. And so that passion is what kind of drives you. And you just want to find folks that are similar in that nature. It's always good to ask someone why they do what they do. And, in my case, when I was 35, I was running a public international company in high-powered lasers, and uh, I was so proud to get that job, only to find that when I got in, it was an absolute mess, and my board was ineffective, and I had to sort it out myself, and it was more good luck than capability back then, but it did make me decide that I would set up a support mechanism for young leaders, which I've done, which is my shop, but I actually take my own medicine, and I'm an owner and director of uh, companies up to 400 million size because uh, you actually make more money out of that. Um, but more importantly, I'm putting myself in harm's way every day. Uh, but I'm always striking ever increasingly difficult matters and I find that's how I build my personal capability because, yeah, I've got a PhD, that's just knowledge. It's the application of that knowledge that builds capability. So, Chris, the SMART goals, the specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, timely, that whole concept has been really popular for goal setting for many years. Is that the best framework for businesses, and what else should they consider? Look, I recognize SMART goals, but if you go into the MindShop toolbox, it's not there. Uh, what is there is a thing called OKRs, and that stands for Objectives and Key Results. Um, it's like... a uh, smart goals on steroids. So basically, imagine if we're, we're setting a goal for the organisation and, and we're the board and we've set that up and we understand exactly what our objectives are. If, if I then work out, right, that my objective is to grow by 20% compound growth this year and do that for the next five years, then I can work out what the key results I must achieve as a board to be able to do that. And then I can take that and I can flow it down to the next level, to the next level, to the next level, Hopefully there's not too many more after that. And it's much easier uh, flow. But in doing that, it still needs to be smart. It needs to be specific and measurable. But we prefer OKRs. Now, uh, smart, smart's good. 
I'm using them. But I think above that, OKRs are much better. And they were that concept was developed by one of the big American companies in the 70s. And just because it's that old doesn't mean it's not good. Uh, I, I find it far more strategic than smart. So for a goal-setting perspective, does it look different for the startups versus the large corporations, the folks that are that have been in it for a while? Is there a, um, if it is different, uh, what makes it different? And, and what are some of the, and I know um, just kind of bouncing around, but, you know, if it is different, there's probably some roadblocks that they have. So um, just kind of talk a little bit about what that goal-setting looks like for the different size companies. Um, you're probably not expecting this answer, but I find I use exactly the same process, whether it's a startup where they've got zero revenue and it's just a concept, or a large uh, corporation, which uh, some of mine are in billions of dollars in size, the big light help. Um, uh, the processes and the measurement are the same because, uh, and that's driven by my philosophy, is always start out as you intend to finish. So if I want to be a, a 30 mil business, I need to act like that even when I'm only at 500,000. Um, and you get what you think about, you get what you do, and uh, I don't want to be chopping and changing. You know, like, say my CRM, um, we went, um, it's not an ad, but, you know, we went salesforce.com because we knew that when we were larger, um, that's what we needed to be because it had the sophistication we needed. Did we need it at the start? No. Uh, did we really want to spend that money? No but we needed it because that's where we're ending up. I think the difference is the type of issues you have to fix. Like in a startup, in my experience, having done quite a few, um, it's all about competitive advantage, cash flow and growth, and, and pretty fast growth to get a critical mass. You know, it's like you're in a plane and you, you need to get to 10,000 feet to feel safe. Well, that's what a startup's doing. But in a corporation, and one of the ones that I'm an owner and director of is, you know, it's not huge, huge, but it's still 800 people, 400 mil. We worry about things like profitability per segment, uh, attracting and retaining really good people, um, and leverage. So my view is, like, if I could spend $100,000 on a person and they stay 10 years, that's a million dollars. I'd rather spend that on technology because it works 24-7. Uh, I, can, I can leverage it better, and, and I have, uh, in some ways, less, less issues with that. And it protects me. Um, I see technology as a protection and a leverage device. And so I'm looking for that and I'm known for that. Like, I, I don't automatically just throw people at things. Uh, and that's, but when, when, you, when you're in startup mode, can I afford a million dollars a year uh, for some technology platform? No, I can't. So I've got to throw people at it. But um, it is the same planning process, but diff different uh, topics pop out depending where you are in the growth um, framework. So Chris, I know you've done a lot of research and collected evidence about the processes that businesses use to make innovation successful. What kinds of things do you consider when you're gathering this evidence and what should business leaders consider when they're trying to gather their own evidence about their own companies? Yep. It starts with a problem to solve and, and any research, um, um, problem actually starts that you've got to define you know what your objective and then try and work out a, a hypothesis to work out how to fix that problem and the problem I struck a oh, long time ago now but it was the um, I found that a lot of my clients were actually failing and uh, I had no idea what the 
uh, rate of failure was, but when I did the research um, as part of my PhD, I found it was 30%, which means most people um, have to have tenacity to be successful because there's a good chance they're going to fail. And and they every time they re, uh, attempt to do it, it's still only a 30% probability. But I did notice that some of my clients seem to be just supermen and women, that they could they were uh, far more successful than 30%, and I had no idea what it would be. And uh, so I, I, I dug in and I found that there were three things they needed. They needed to be ready, they needed to build capability and their belief systems of their people and themselves as leaders needed to be right. And that threw out you know, 10 different factors. So if I was a business leader and I wanted to gather evidence about my own company, I'd, I'd, I'd make a list of all the um, uh, problems I'm having um, and I see them as opportunities, by the way. And, and then I'd work out which is the most important strategically and, and I, would, I would dig in and try and work out, gather data, don't make assumptions. Data, um, this is one of the characteristics of someone that's done a PhD, they become very research driven. So you don't believe anything and in some ways you become a bit cynical because I tend not to believe anything without evidence now. So you gather the evidence and then you've got, you've got a, um, look at that evidence and try and work out what what is the hypothesis, what do I think happens here? If I want to grow at 30% and I'm not, what is causing that? What is the model I need? What is best practice? Who who are the people that are doing really well in this? What are they doing differently to the average person? That's the simple research process. It's no more difficult than that. So it looks really clever and it takes three or four years to do it properly, but that it's as simple as that. Where's the problem? Where are the exemplars? What are they doing differently? Um, can I prove that? And if so, can I create a model for it? You're speaking Paul's language here. He's a he loves data. You so start talking is... about you start talking about data analysis, and and, I, and I, for the sports fans out there, um, if you've not seen the movie Moneyball uh, with Brad Pitt that talks about the Oakland A's back in 2002 and how they used data to put um, to find the right players to put runs on the board and to win games and made it to the postseason for the first time in a while, uh, it's a great. Uh, movie and, uh, about what is the problem and and everybody thinks yep. they are the problem and until you actually talk about it and you say it um, people will, will dance around it but you've got to truly say okay what is the problem whenever we're talking to a client about an issue we will always ask you know what is what is the problem you're trying to solve what's the end goal if I know what the report looks like then I can know how to structure the engagement or if I know what your problem is and truly know what your problem is not just what you're you think the problem, what you think yeah. the problem the, the is, it's, problem. it's the true problem. And so, uh, Moneyball has a has a great scene where, where uh, Brad Pitt talks about, um, you know, what's the problem, and he keeps asking the question over and over and over. And nobody can come to the answer, and it's because they don't truly know what the problem is. They're just going through motion. So I I, I like that you brought that into this conversation because I think uh, data and data analytics, um, there is no truer true in the world other than data analytics because it it knows things that other people don't. Correct. Want to receive a monthly newsletter with wrap topics? Head on over to warrenaverett.com forward slash the wrap and subscribe to our email list to have it delivered right to your inbox. So, Chris, if your business has different locations, whether it's domestically and internationally, you know, what does that mean for how you set your goals across the business? Okay, well, I mentioned when I ran that uh, laser company that was internationally, so people spread all around the world. But I think one that I'm most proud of is... Um, the, that 800-person company I mentioned that I'm an owner and, and director of and immediate past chair, 
Uh, and it's because we're in 10 locations. And so we started out 70 years ago, 71 years ago, as a family business in HVAC. And it was, it's been very hard, but we've achieved it to keep that family feel. And I think it's our planning process in part and our objectives and goal setting that's enabled us to do that. Now, our year end is um, June 30, so we're already meeting on, the, I think, the 3rd and 4th, that's the Monday, Tuesday of February, to start the planning process for the next financial year coming. And what we end up as a board, we're away for two days with a facilitator using our processes, um, and uh, we come up with, a, I'll call it a robust master plan. So we've got this plan, we've got the vision, we've got um, the OKRs, we've got it all worked out, and then we flow that so that each of the 10 locations um, go through the same planning process. But we, I think the key success factor is that people like me, you know, main board directors, we will attend some of those. So we'll fly to Sydney or Brisbane or wherever, and we will uh, attend that. And we get guests from other departments, other divisions of the company to come along and add their input into the planning process. The key is to get the leader buy-in first because if the leader of that um, separate entity doesn't um, believe in the plan or feels that it's being forced on them, then they, they won't buy in. So you can tell, particularly with old eyes like mine, you can actually see if someone gets it or not. And then once we've got the plan, I think the next thing is we you need a co continuous corrective action process. So w when we're reporting back on a monthly basis, we are, if they're drifting on their plan or they're overachieving it, uh, we expect that general manager to actually explain why. So if, if they're drifting, like if they're not meeting their OKRs, then uh, what we want is their plan to correct that. And if, they, if we see in, say, two or three months that's not working, uh, I'll word this nicely, we will give them extra help. So people like me will get involved and I'll, I'll go, look, it's okay, I'll help you and often they prefer not to have my help. So most of them would uh, try and meet their own goals, but if they're genuinely missing it, um, we jump in from above and uh, and help them get those. And it may mean even redefining the plan, that the plan wasn't right in the first place, but normally the plan is right, and they're missing some of the things I talked about before, poor succession, poor leverage, um, employing capability, uh, wrong clients, uh, the customers, they're the things that we, we pick up. And, and often they're so close to it, they can't see it. And that, So I think that even though it takes three or four months to get that plan done, and then it takes the rest of you to implement it or another year to implement it, I think if you've got multiple locations, it, you can't just do a plan and send it out. It really needs to have board and senior executive involvement to develop the plan, but also in the implementation process. It's a common theme we talk about on some of these podcasts of that tone at the top. And uh, if, if you don't have buy-in from, from everyone, especially at the top, others aren't going to jump on board. And so I think that that's um, a big piece of culture a lot of businesses miss is they just do not have that that understanding that tone at the top is important uh, and, and really trying to weave that into all aspects of the business. I think people are watching their leaders at all times and making judgments. And if if they can't have confidence and be uh, and feel safe because we actually know what we're doing, um, then it, it makes them second-guess everything. 
and and then that's where your problems start creeping in. So it's a, it's a team effort. We all have to be involved, but it starts with the leaders. So that's a good point, though. You know, when when you're trying to balance the desire for the team to buy in and for them to participate and they also the need to stay true to your, your core mission, your vision. In other words, if people are bringing their own ideas and goals to your business, how do you know when you should say, yes, let's do it. And when to say, no, that's not for us. How do you know how to balance that? Uh, it's as simple in my mind is I know a good idea when I see it and it's not always coming out of my mouth and I'm not, this is not a competition to be the best and the baddest in the room. I'm just looking for good ideas. But I have a rule too, particularly with people I work with on a day-to-day basis, if if I'm in doubt which way to jump, I go with their ideas. So I don't insist on my own ideas. Like if it's, it, it's really got to be 70-30 in my head that I'm right, then maybe not, before I'll say much. But if it's 50-50, I just say, yeah, that's a good idea, let's go with it. Because we can always make another decision later and change it, and they learn from that. If I try to protect people and 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 make it too safe and it's my opinion uh, rules, then they're going to come to me all the time, and I don't want that. I mean, when, when I replaced myself as the CEO of uh, Mindshop, um, which was a long time ago, 21 years ago, the first thing I did was leave the office and not come back. So I go when I'm invited because you can't have two bosses. But it doesn't mean I can't throw good ideas in and I probably get asked four or five times a day, but the only reason they're asking is that they think my my uh, answers to their questions are insightful. So there's my challenge. How do I stay being able to do that? Um, so the bottom line is recognize a good idea from anywhere in the organization. Don't think just because you're a leader, you've got a mortgage on best ideas. They can come from anywhere. And often they're from the new people saying, why in the hell are they doing this? I mean, and they're, they're questioning things that maybe I stopped questioning and I should be. So I love it. And like apprentices are the first year in the in the business. We have in HVAC company, you've got 65 of them at the moment and 35 cadet engineers. They're the ones I want to talk to because um, they've got all these fresh ideas and and that's they're the future of the business. We had a CEO one time that said, um, empowered you to to do things based on what you felt it needed to be done um and his his rule of thumb was just don't cut down the hundred year old oak tree right if you if you if if everybody that comes to us with ideas or hey here's here's how i would handle that if you continue to correct them if you continue to add in your own thoughts um, you're not empowering them to want to do that later and and we're trying to build other leaders and and not just be the only one Uh, and so that is that is a good rule of thumb of uh, when people come to me with hey here's how i would do it I would say, unless they're going to cut down the hundred-year-old oak tree, I'm not correcting anything. I'm just going to let them kind of go with it because that, to me, is empowering them to continue to do that in the future. So here on the wrap, Chris, we like to wrap it up in sixty seconds or less. What do you want the listeners to take away from this conversation related to setting goals for their business? Okay, so for for twenty twenty, I think the big the big issues are uh, your capability of your people. You really need to invest in that and and start with yourself. Uh, you're the lowest common denominator in the organization. Uh, so make sure that you're growing fast, you're not having groundhog years, and then encourage everyone else to build their capability and look for ways to leverage yourself and get a competitive advantage would be my advice for 2020. This has been great as usual, Chris. I really appreciate you uh, getting up very early in Australia to okay. join us here today. Yeah, no. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. Nice talking to you. Have a good day. 
And that's a wrap. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on your streaming platform. To check out more episodes, subscribe to our podcast series, or make a suggestion for other topics to cover, visit us at warrenaverett.com forward slash the wrap.